the believer's hope living in a kingdom that is greatly shaken is receiving by faith a kingdom that can never be shaken. Let us pray. God, our Father, today, remind us of the hope that we have, even as we are pilgrims in this earthly journey. Remind us that we are greater citizens of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of heavenly Jerusalem, and we are headed to enter that heavenly city. Encourage us today that indeed, by faith, our citizenship is in a kingdom that can never be shaken. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read part of the passage that I had planned this morning as we will read verses 18 to 24. Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Often I speak of my love for John Bunyan's 17th century classic, Pilgrim's Pro Progress. It is an allegory of the journey of the Christian life. The main character, Christian, leaves the city of destruction and he searches for salvation and ultimately searches for the end of the journey, the celestial city. On his way, he encounters individuals, and he encounters obstacles, and he encounters perils that hinder his progress. But he's always moving towards that ultimate destination. He finds support and encouragement from hopeful and faithful to allies on the same journey heading to the same city. Bunyan's classic is about our journey through this world, a world, and even citizens of a country and of a kingdom that are greatly shaken. But even as we journey, we have received by faith citizenship in a kingdom that can never be shaken. No less than five times, the author of Hebrews in our passage today references a journey. He says, they, 
that, it, that would be believers, have, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And he also speaks of coming to various other realities of that heavenly city. Look at verses 22 through 24. And the story of our passage today is about the believer's pilgrimage, our pilgrimage by faith through this very temporary, transitory, fallen world that will not remain. And even as we journey, we have received citizenship. We have a passport to enter a kingdom that will never be shaken, that will always remain. Is that not a hopeful message for the believer today on this journey of the Christian life? Our author contrasts earthly Sinai with heavenly, heavenly Zion. And next week, we will consider the responses to the fact that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But for today, I want to focus on the hope we have of while journeying through this foreign land as aliens and strangers, as pilgrims, our citizenship ultimately is in a heavenly Jerusalem that is eternal. So first, earthly Sinai. It was a place where God met with his people, Israel, and established a covenant and established them as a nation with a law code. God redeemed Israel from bondage in Egypt. The, uh, I love what Exodus 19.4 how it reads, that he bore them on eagles' wings, bringing them to himself at the foot of Mount Sinai. But at the foot of Mount Sinai, what did the Israelites find? This is what they found, fear, terror, and restricted access. That's what they found. We read about this not only in the passage that Carl read from Exodus 19 and 20, but also in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and Deuteronomy chapter 18. Israel journeyed to what may be touched, an earthly, a physical location on earth, Mount Sinai, but with the restriction not to touch, verses 18 through 21. In fact, Hebrews 12, 20 references what Carl read in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, restricting everyone, even, except Moses, of course, but also restricting beasts from touching the mountain on pain of death. I'll just read just a couple of verses from Exodus 19. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Rather, beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Israel journeyed not only to a place that was on earth, could be touched, but they were restricted from touching it. 
but they journeyed to a place that was terrifying, a fearful place. Look at Hebrews 12, 18 through 19. It, it depicts the terror that the Israelites faced. Also, Exodus 20, 18 through 19. Now Mount Zion was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Exodus 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And then in Deuteronomy 9, verse 19, a really striking passage, Moses, who was able to catch a glimpse of the backside of God, God up on the mountain as he received the Ten Commandments, and his face glowed, the, gl the glory of God, just reflecting the glory of God. Even Moses was fearful after the people sinned with the golden calf incident. In Deuteronomy 19, 19, Moses said, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 21 reflects the fact that Moses feared the Lord. At Sinai, the place that could be touched, but was restricted to be touched. Earthly Sinai. Fear and restricted access characterizes earthly Sinai. The author's purpose in describing earthly Sinai was to contrast it with heavenly Zion. For the believer's hope, living in a kingdom that is greatly shaken, this world is receiving by faith citizenship in a kingdom that can never be shaken. And so my second point uh, for today, heavenly Zion, look at verses 18 through 22, the, the author, or 18 and 22, the, the author encouraged the believers in verse 18 for you have not come to what may be touched. That is to say, you've not come to earthly Sinai. You've not come to that which is, has a physical location on earth. And, by the way, that is passing and will not remain. But then he says in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to what may not be touched. It's eternal. It's spiritual but you've come to a place where you have freedom and full access. You are welcomed in and welcomed up to the very throne room of God. The heavenly Zion is greater than earthly Sinai. It is a place where God dwells. It is eternal, and it is a place where we are welcomed, as I said, free access, all those who are in Christ, Christ who inaugurated a new and better covenant, 
are called and invited to come freely. Freedom and access characterize heavenly Zion, not fear and restricted access as with earthly Sinai. The author continues the theme of, of God's people on a journey. Look at verse 22. The believers have come to Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion, let me talk a little bit about that. Many of you know that King David conquered, he captured a, a Jebusite stronghold that, that went by the name Zion. So it was also known as Salem in the days of Melchizedek. And he captured this city in the seventh year of his reign. You read about that in 2 Samuel 5 and 6. After capturing that city, David eventually brought the Ark of the Covenant to the city. And that city, Zion, Salem, that became Jerusalem, was the earthly dwelling place of God, the center of Israelite worship. Verse 22 our author says, believers have come not to earthly Zion, not to the earthly city of Jerusalem, but to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And the author does not mean the believer to whom he was writing in his day as well as those of us in our day that they had already arrived at Mount Zion, this heavenly city, but having come to means that they were continuing this earthly journey that would terminate, that would end, that would eventually reach the heavenly Jerusalem. He is writing to those believers in his day that were being pressured to abandon Christ and forsake him and the new covenant and this glorious destiny in heavenly Jerusalem. That's what they were being pressured to reject. And the author is saying here is that you are on a journey to heavenly Jerusalem. Stay the course. Persevere. Keep on walking to that glorious city. And we'll learn next week that keep on walking means keep on believing. That's the response, one of the responses to this reality of being citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The same is true for you and me. That as we are going about this earthly journey, even as we are reeling from the effects of this transient world, this world that will not last, this world that is characterized by sin and fallenness, if we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have put our faith in Him, if we have been united to Him in saving faith, we are already citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And our author would say, as he said to his, his flock being persecuted, keep walking. Keep pursuing the Christian life. Keep walking on the course laid out for us in the Word of God to that heavenly Jerusalem. Keep believing in Jesus. And as you do, even today, we enjoy the benefits of citizenship in that 
kingdom that cannot be shaken. We enjoy salvation, freedom from bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, freedom from the greatest enemy, physical death itself. Read 1 Corinthians 15, the glorious reality of the resurrection. We enjoy communion with our King. We will celebrate communion here in just a moment. This is a reflect this is a table set before us that is calling us to commune with him and as God's people commune with with one another. It is a blessing, it is a joy. This is a kingdom that shall not be shaken mill that is set before us. And we should not be shaken to come to it even because of our sin. We should be repentant and come and be nourished and strengthened for our journey to heavenly Jerusalem. We enjoy the comfort and guidance of our King. We enjoy His discipline and fatherly love as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. We enjoy His promises and the assurance of His promises. We enjoy even now free access to the the very throne room of God, the throne of grace, as the writer of Hebrews declared in chapter 4 and verse 15, where through prayer we can be caught up in the throne room. There our mediator is waiting, calling us to come confidently and boldly to the throne of grace to receive all that we need, all the mercy and grace that we need today for the journey that will terminate one day right at Jesus' side. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's where you're headed as a child of God? Not just to heaven, but to the side of Jesus, our mediator, who is there waiting for us, waiting to welcome us, who is even now interceding for us on the way, who is even now imparting to us all the grace that we need through faith to be faithful as his kingdom people. As we journey through this world that is greatly shaken, having received a kingdom that can never be shaken. One day our journey in this great, greatly shakable world will be over, and we will enter that heavenly Zion, that heavenly Jerusalem, and what will we experience? Well, (laughs) there is not a great deal of evidence given in the scriptures about the details of heaven, but we have some here. In Hebrews chapter 12, here's what we will not experience, fear and restricted access. We will not experience what the Israelites experienced at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is what we will experience in verse 22. Believers will come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. This may refer to the 10,000 times 10,000 angels that we read about in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10 that gives us that that beautiful picture of Christ and, and his dominion from the throne of God in heaven over all the world. It represents that heavenly host that is, where we're not able to number them, 
that are worshiping and serving God in worship there before the throne. It may be possible, and th- this is just something to think about. I certainly wouldn't base my entrance into heaven on this, but, but it's just something to think about. When we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following, we, we have that, that great hymn of Christ that for the purpose of salvation, he voluntarily set aside his divine right in order to condescend to take a human nature, to die on the cross, to his body to be put in the grave, and then to raise for us, for our salvation. And then the upward journey back to his rightful place in heaven, he ascended. Could it be that as our Lord was in the process of voluntarily setting aside his divine rights, and as he was condescending to earth, he passed through tens and 10,000 times 10,000 of angels worshiping. And this may explain why in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, Peter describes the angels marveling over Christ's work of atonement. And then as Christ ascended back to his rightful place, could it be that he passes through this host of angels worshiping and praising in festal gatherings the victorious mediator to take up his place that he voluntarily set aside? And if that is true, then I would suggest to you that, brothers and sisters, when we get to heaven, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, with Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith who blazed a trail to heaven, we will follow him there, and we will pass through innumerable angels in festal gatherings, worshiping and praising. And what a worship service that will be. Believers will come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, verse 23. The author here refers to all the saints of all time who are united to Christ in saving faith, Christ being the firstborn son, Jesus. Therefore, because they're united to him, the firstborn, they are granted his inheritance. They are granted an inheritance as if they were the firstborn. There's a distinction between Christ's sonship and ours, but we share in his inheritance as the redeemed, as the adopted. The assembly is composed of those saints, those saints whose names are written in the book of life, Revelation 21, 27. Those saints whose names are written in heaven, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 27. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be among that firstborn assembly with your name written in the book of life, written in heaven. This is just simply conjecture. 
to think about getting to heaven, turning the page of the book of life, and see your name written in Christ's blood. You have a right to be there. Do you hear me? Because of Christ, we have a right to be in heaven. It's our inheritance. Believers then, in verse 23, also come to God, the judge of all. The author reminds believers one day they will stand before the judge. We will stand before the judge. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30, we're told that that God will judge all his people. Then in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, and he will require an account of them. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, we read, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we would say, yes, indeed, it is a fearful thing to stand before the eternal judgment sheet. But though God is a consuming fire, as we'll reflect on next week in verse 29 of our passage today, and is due reverence and awe, as we will reflect on next week as well, response to the fact of receiving an inheritance in an unshakable kingdom, given all of that, we will fear reverentially, we will be in awe at the awesome power of God, but we will not be in terror. We will not be like the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, who were trembling in terror, not wanting God to even speak to them, but through Moses. We will see God face to face. We will stand before him. Not like the Israelites did at earthly Sinai. We will stand before him in heavenly Jerusalem on the merits of Christ, in Christ, and be welcomed in. And then in verse 23, we also read that believers will come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I take this to refer to the Old Testament saints like those of the hall of faith that we studied in chapter 11. Noah and Abraham and Moses, that they will be there. They will be there because they were saved on the merits of Christ. They will be there standing because of Christ competently before the judge. If Abraham can stand competently before the judge in Christ, that gives us hope and encouragement that we can stand competently before the judge in, in Christ. And then in verse 24, we come to this statement about Christ, our mediator. And there's a reference to Abel's blood in verse 24. We read that we we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We will stand before the judge of of all the earth, along with all the saints standing in Christ, our advocate, our great high priest we will stand on his merits we will stand boldly and with confidence yes reverently yes in awe but not in terror because of what Christ has done and what Christ's blood did is not what Abel's blood represented Abel's blood in verse 24 represents the curse of vengeance but how much greater is the sprinkled blood of Jesus that represents 
the efficacy of his atoning work for sin that brings about forgiveness of sin. That little phrase of the sprinkled blood of Jesus being greater than the blood of Abel just points to the, the efficacy, the greatness, the power of the blood of Jesus. It, talks, it speaks to the sufficiency of his atoning work for us. It is a statement that brings confidence and hope for God's people as they come before the judge of all, standing in Christ. Our great high priest offered himself as the once-for-all sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's people, for us. He ascended to the right hand of the Father to take his rightful place and to continue his, his great high priestly ministry interceding for us. And he's standing there ready to receive us when we reach our destination, heavenly Jerusalem. And what an arrival that will be. Earthly Sinai was characterized by fear and restricted access, but the portals of heavenly have been flung open wide by our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have free access to the very throne room, the heavenly holy of holies. No restrictions. And all of this because of Him. Because of Him, we have a right standing before God. Because of Him, we have full access into the heavenly Zion, even today, as we are on this journey, and yet we, through prayer, boldly go before the throne of grace. And one day, we will stand before Him there in heaven. Heavenly Zion, the author's point, is infinitely greater than earthly Sinai because it is the believer's hope living in a kingdom that is greatly shaken in receiving by faith a citizenship in a kingdom that will never be shaken, where we have freedom and access to God on the merits of Christ. As the Roman Empire was, was soon to fall, St. Augustine, who died in AD 430, wrote another classic. We began with a classic, we'll end with a classic. And of course, you know the classic, The City of God. It was first published in 1467, some 37 years after his death. But like Pilgrim's Progress, Augustine's City of God explores the realities of God's people being dual citizens, being citizens of some country. In his case, it was the Roman Empire of his day. And yet, more importantly, being citizens of heaven. And how, how do you navigate that? How, how do you live? And, and Augustine explores that. I mean, the, the city of man, be it the United States of America or in his day, the Roman Empire that, by the way, was falling, and it ultimately fell in 470 or 467 or so, actually 470, but was certainly on its way to a decline in the early 400s. So Augustine was writing about the city of man that he knew 
falling, coming to a place where it would no longer remain in the language of our author in Hebrews. And that city is characterized by impermanence, instability, shakenness, and sin. But then Augustine encourages the, the believer that they have a greater citizenship. It is, in, it is in the city of God that will remain. And he encourages Christians to live focused on that kingdom, that citizenship, that hopeful reality. And listen, that's what I want to encourage us to do today. Be faithful citizens of this worldly kingdom. But our true and lasting citizenship is in heaven. That should be our focus. That's where our hope should lie. And the book of Daniel is the message of hope in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Read the book of Daniel. And it's ultimately about this. Daniel reflects the rising and the falling of the kingdoms of men. Chapter 2 is the classic example with that statue that represents four kingdoms. The feet and the legs, the composite, the clay and, and the metal represents the Roman Empire. The Babylonian kingdom rose and it fell. The Medo-Persian Empire rose and it fell. The great kingdom of Greece rose and it fell. Rome rose and it fell. The little rock, not cut out by human hands, Daniel 2 tells us, was cut out from that mountain by God himself, hit the feet of that statue, and the whole thing came tumbling down. And that little stone grew into a great mountain. That little stone reflects Jesus. That great mountain, the kingdom of God. You read the book of Daniel. And in the forefront is world history, the kingdoms of men rising and falling, but looming in the background, ever-present, never-fading, is the kingdom of God. And that's the kingdom of which we have a citizenship through Christ. And that should be our focus. And I just love Daniel 7, as Daniel through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records for us the realities of that heavenly kingdom and the mediator of that kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his dominion over all. This should be the foundation of hope, even as we're journeying through this world that is greatly shaken. We, we should be focused on the fact that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and that kingdom that cannot be shaken is ruled and governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Daniel describes the Lord Jesus Christ here in verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And this kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed, that's our kingdom. 
the believer's hope living in this worldly kingdom that is greatly shaken, that will not remain, that is characterized by sin and fallenness. We have hope because we have received by faith a citizenship in a kingdom that Daniel described, ruled by a king that Daniel described, that is eternal and will never be shaken. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, remind us of our citizenship in heaven, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.